Father in heaven, thank you for your love and mercy every day, and thank you for uh, this group here. Thank you for Elevate. Thank you for the praise team and what they're doing, and uh, be with Jim, be with uh, Michelle and Emerson, and just guide and direct, and Lord, thank you for everything you've done in your name. Amen. You know, there's a couple things. i got to give Jim a hard time because I need one of these Elevate t-shirts. I'm more a t-shirt guy. I wouldn't wear a t-shirt up front to preach unless it was the church's t-shirt, so i got to get one. And then I got to give him a hard time for doing this podcast thing because now he's just put the pressure on. You know, you can usually hide a bad sermon because then everyone forgets about it. But now with podcasts, it's, you know, it's out there forever. Um, today, my sermon is titled The Dynamic Duo, and I want you to stick with me today. It's, it may be a short sermon, but um, for my seminary class, um, I was uh, required to read this uh, book, and it's actually pretty interesting. Uh, how many of you guys have gone to uh, college here? Um, you guys, now your required reading, have you ever enjoyed your required readings? Yeah, see? Yeah. So I have a bad habit, I'll start to skim, you know, that sift through it. But this one, I was like, all right, I can get into this one. Um, and so the more I dove into it, the more I liked what he was saying. It's by David Wheeler and another doctor, which I'm not going to quote his name because I don't remember it, but it's, uh, they, uh, they uh, uh, collaborated on this, and it's called The Great Commission to Worship. Now, here's the thing. In the Christian church today, there is a conversation going on. Why is our church struggling? Most Christian churches today are struggling. Contrary to what you see on the TV in your mega churches and stuff, it is actually struggling. Mega churches are actually disappearing. Um, I was just talking to uh, my dad today about a book and talking about how uh, life cycles go uh, in seasons. Solomon was correct. Everything goes in seasons. And actually, the new saying is small is tall, meaning small churches like Elevate are coming back because people want one thing. They want genuine, they want, want the song. They want Jesus. And oftentimes when you go in and you're a Christian and you go in or you're searching it out or you're a new Christian or something and you go into one of those mega churches and I'll even say you go into one of our big Adventist churches, you can slip in and slip out. And oftentimes you can go there and all of a sudden if you, you don't like it, you can check out and you can, oh, I wonder what's going on on Facebook. You can look at a total new sermon somewhere else and still be at this church. So small is tall. So I want to I commend Elevate. I always enjoy when I can get here. And now that I'm not going to be the new guy at Bass, um, I'm going to try and get away as much as possible to come here and bring my kids because once my kids, a few of my kids got the taste of Elevate, you guys are doing a good thing here. So I want to encourage you. Um, but the two things we're going to talk about today, and I want you to stick with me because I don't want your ears to go off because they often do, is two things, the dynamic duo, evangelism and worship. Now, I'll be honest, especially being a pastor, you hear the word evangelism, what do we automatically think about? I think of big old posters on the edge, a guy getting up front and being like, okay, today we're going through Daniel and Revelation. Honestly, that is, every time I hear revel, uh, evangelism, that's what I go to. I think of evangelists. I think of something totally separate than from me. And worship, where do we go? Worship, I automatically think, which you guys do an awesome job, worship, I go to music all the time. If you hear the word worship, what do you guys think about? Let's get some answers. I know I'm breaking the rule. You're not supposed to, you know, people are just supposed to come and sit in the pews, but what do you think about when you hear worship? Yeah, amen. Pick up my wife. Aaron. Okay. When you hear the word worship, what do you think? Rebecca? 
for me, I think music. Uh, and, and, and big churches, sometimes our Adventist churches, we kind of do di- things differently. You'll have pastor, associate pastor, associate pastor, associate pastor, associate. We don't label our pastors. But in other churches, they have senior pastor, associate pastor, worship pastor, kids pastor. I mean, they got the labels. And worship pastors are in charge of what? Music. Music. And so we've kind of, in Christianity, we've kind of made the thing that worship is Music or worship is something that we do when we're, we kind of want to kind of want to get away from ourselves. So two things we're going to talk about today is evangelism and worship. And here is the hypothesis. You cannot have one without the other. And they are more intimate than what we've allowed them to be. So I want us to turn to a depressing story. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. In Genesis 22. Genesis 22. Okay. And if you're a parent, I apologize because I got to give it to Abraham. Genesis 22. If you're in Genesis 20, uh, 22, we'll start in verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham. He was doing what to Abraham? He was testing him and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, oh, I'm just going to pause right there. I'm always jealous of the conversations that people have in the Bible with God. But let me be honest. How many of you today, I love how nonchalant it is. The Bible says, and God said to Abraham, hey. And Abraham hears a voice and goes, hey. I want that relationship, but I'll be honest. If I've heard and felt the voice of God probably three times in my life so far, and it creeped me out, I'll be honest. Any person that doesn't say that it didn't creep them out, I mean, I was excited, but I also was like, oh, yeah, I forgot. Because we often forget that God does speak to us and in a very little term. And I tell my kids in all my classrooms and in the, in the church, you better be prepared because someday God might tap on your shoulder and you might hear that voice. And everyone, you're going to look around and be like, did you guys not hear that? And I love God because a lot of times he's just going to be between you and him. He's going to let you think you're crazy. But here apparently Abraham, you know, he's like, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac. Do you notice who he left out of the picture here? Who's left out of the picture? Ishmael. Take your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, of which I shall tell you. So Abraham, I love there's no pause in this story. No, no, like, hesitation. Abraham hesitated. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and, what is your guys, uh, what's the word right there? Worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it. On Isaac, uh, on Isaac, his son, and he took in the hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? I imagine at this moment in the story, Isaac has an inkling feeling that he doesn't want to have that no kid wants to have. You know, sometimes we think our parents are there to kill us. But here, literally, that was the point. That was, there was no is my dad or mom going to find out and kill me? No, this was, hey, um, I know we're sacrificing something, but where is the lamb? So Abraham goes. 
Behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb? And Abraham says, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both went up uh, them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. At this point, Isaac's like, yep, I knew it. I knew it. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. I love it. Just nonchalant. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and lo and behold, God provided a sacrifice, a ram. So there's a couple things. I joke about it, but we need to unpack the story. The word worship appears here. And I want you to understand the word worship does not appear often in scripture. How many of you realize that? It's implied but directly stated, it is not a common word. And so for Abraham to show up and say, you know what? Hey, you two hang out here. My son and I are going to go worship. And Abraham, he's not lying. Is he going to worship God? Yes. But what is that worship require of him? To give up his most intimate thing, to take it, just he and him. He is not getting up on a stage with Isaac being like, all right, in the book of Daniel, no. He is intimately going where God has told him to meet him, to give up what he wants, and he is going to sacrifice it. But he says, we're going to worship, and we'll be back. See, Abraham had faith. He had faith that no matter what, God was going to raise his son and bring him back. So Abram has faith. I honestly think, you know, people try and read between the lines, and I'm okay if I'm wrong when I get to heaven, but I don't think there's more to this story. I think Abraham knew, had learned his lesson, because guess what? The dude was pushing 100 when he had a kid. So I think he had seen all these wrongs and all the junk in his life that he's gotten through with God, and then when God comes and says, hey, bud, you got to sacrifice his only son, he goes, okay, I know you got a plan, dude. I don't think there's more to it. I honestly don't. You know, often people say he was hiding it from Isaac. No, but it also shows another thing, how he raised Isaac. Isaac went along with it. Nowadays, you couldn't even get your kid to go on the journey. Hey, Dad, I got to snap this real quick. Okay, I got to, can can we go in a second? I'm, I'm on playing Mario Kart, man. Like, no, Isaac is like, hey, Dad, but it's an intimate experience. And I want to focus on that word worship. Because what Abraham did is what we should do. Now I want to unpack a couple things. Some common misconceptions about evangelism. Evangelism is a choice. How many of you believe that? Evangelism is a choice. I'm here to wreck your world. It is not a choice. How many of you are Christian? Or you've accepted Christ into your life? If you have, you don't have a choice. You should be evangelizing. And it says here in Acts 1.8, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria to the end of the earth. Here's the thing. God did not give us a choice when he gave us the great commission. He says, go ye therefore unto all nations, unto all peoples, and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And guess what he also says? And lo, I will go with you always. Does he say, hey, if you're feeling like it, you go. But if you feel like just going to church, just don't worry about it. No. He says, go wherever you can and evangelize. 
Now, I want to unpack that word. Do not think that you are going to throw in a bunch of uh, uh, pamphlets and Bibles and, uh, you know, banners and everything else in your truck, and that's what Jesus is saying. No, he's saying, and we'll get to it, I want you to evangelize. The second thing is just passing on information. We are great at this. We are great at this. You cannot separate, and this is a quote from the book, you cannot separate Jesus' message from the life he lived. Jesus didn't just share the truth through words, but also in the life that he lived through a consistent lifestyle. Here's the thing. It's attributed to Francis Assisi. He once said, the greatest sermon you will ever preach is the life you live. And then Martin Luther backed that up and said, if you sin, sin boldly. A lot of people use that as an excuse, but Martin Luther is saying this, don't hide. Be honest about who you are. Are, Am I a sinner? Oh, yeah. I'm a sinner. I don't hide that. But I know why I need Jesus, and I share that with people. It's because Jesus chose to love me that I choose to talk about him, that I choose to get up here to follow my call. Now you, the greatest life, the greatest sermon you could ever preach is the life you live. That's how you evangelize. If you're a college student, you know what? You can evangelize to your professor. You can evangelize to the, to the people around you. Me, you know, I could check out, and as chaplain, I could evangelize by doing Bible class, you know, having assignments, just pulling out my banners, my posters. But no, I choose to live this model. The greatest sermon I'll ever preach is my life. Because here's the thing. For you, there's always someone watching. I learned this in airports. Airports are a great place. I think it's because we all feel safe in an airport. People let their guard down or they're, they're more open and honest. I remember one time, um, this lady uh, dropped something. I was traveling back to see my wife who was in Wawa, and I was flying. I would fly from Little Rock. I would fly from Memphis. I'd fly from all over, and um, I believe it was in Memphis, and this lady dropped her purse. She didn't realize it, and so I ran after her, and I gave it to her. And I went back to my gate, and it, just a random dude comes up, and he goes, I, see, I saw what you did. I was like, okay. And he's like, what made you do that? We had a whole conversation about what made me return that purse. Someone is always watching. How many of you have had an experience like that? Where you, you think you're just doing it, and then guess what? People are watching. Okay. The, thir- the, uh, the thir- uh, third one, something you do. Evangelism must never be minimized to something you perform as a duty to God. It should be like breathing involuntary response to naturally uh, uh, just being with Christ. That's why we have to redefine evangelism. Evangelism literally comes from the root word euangelion, which means the good news. Evangelism literally means talking about the good news. It does not mean getting a paycheck from the conference and talking about all this other stuff. Evangelism is something that we live. It's something that we speak, not through our, through our, uh, our actions and our words, but just through the life we live. Uh, for competition with discipleship. Discipleship, from a pastoral standpoint, is a hot word right now. Evangelism and disciples are dependent on each other. What evangelism do is it brings people in and says, hey, you have a need, I got the answer, Jesus is the answer, and then once you accept that, you start discipleship. You cannot have one without the other. Based on your personality, I see this a lot. Evangelism is a biblical mandate to be fulfilled through all types of people. How many of you have felt this way? I've even used this excuse. Oh, that's just not me. That's just not me. Unless it's a coffee shop, I can do Bible studies all day. 
But, you know, even getting up front, the heart starts pounding. You know, this is a little bit better because it's more intimate. It's smaller. It's like my classroom's bigger than this, so I'm okay. But when you ask me to get up front, the nerves start, and I I think, eh, I would love to pull that card. It's just not me. But that's not what God says. He says, you know what? Stop being comfortable. Push yourself. The next one is acting arrogant or superior. A lot of times, and I'll be honest, Christians, we can do this. 1 Peter 5, 6, I love what, how Peter writes. He says, humble yourselves. Uh, Therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may li- be lifted up, uh, lift you up in due time. And know it all, and cocky attitude will always hinder, ne- hinder the effectiveness of, of uh, spreading Christ. I can't tell you how many times, um, even in my, in- I call it my intertestamental period, I would come across someone that really knew the information. They really would share it. They were on fire. They were, they were doing their thing. But guess what turned me off? They were a know-it-all. They were cocky. They're just like, yeah, I got the truth. One of the best things that ever happened to me is one of my darkest hours in my life. My professors, I felt like they cornered me, but I got an email that said, hey, Ferg, why don't you come up for a meeting? We need to have an uh, academic advising meeting. I was like, okay. So I went up there, and then it was a little creepy because I walked into uh, Dr. Holdsworth's office, and then another one like was behind me, shut the door to the department, and I'm like, what's happening here? And they quietly just gathered in Dr. Holdsworth's office and they said, we know you need prayer. We're going to pray. They cornered me. But here, they weren't know-it-alls. They weren't cocky. They humbled themselves, took time out of their day. And I know because behind that closed door when I left, there was about four or five theology majors that were thinking, what did this dude do? But they took time and they evangelized to me. Did they evangelize through pulling out spreadsheets and everything no they said hey we care about you we're going to stop what we're doing and we're going to pray with you the next one is meant to be silenced by fear i'll be honest this is one i struggle with is the fear how many of you you feel like hey maybe i could talk to this person about jesus but are they really going to be into it i'm a little scared right now the biggest one is airplanes i go back to airplanes but you're trapped with that person so sometimes i love it especially because i got to have an aisle seat my wife and I just flew back from Costa Rica every time. Aisle seat. That's why I love Southwest. You just plant yourself there. No one can move you. But I love it because all their other people, guess what? They're trapped. They're going to hear about Jesus. <laughs> they are. It's great. But sometimes, I've honestly, I've been there and I've been scared. And I know God has put someone there that needs to hear about Christ. And I think, oh, what to? But I end up, you know, and, and for me, it's always, here's the thing. I've learned this. Prayer is impactful. I never know how to start it because I am not one of those who can be like, do you want to talk about Jesus? Judge me, but that's just, I like organic, you know, like you start off with a conversation and then it just kind of moves. So I always pray, hey, God, I know I'm here. If you want me to talk to this person about, and you know what? No sooner have I finished and then a person starts talking to me and then we end up talking about Jesus. I'm like, that's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Uh, one instance was this, and this will get to my other point. One instance, I was sitting next to a flight, and this when I was younger. My wife and I had just gotten married, and I was flying back to Spokane. You know, such a theme. Jesus and I, we got, we got the airports down. I was flying back to Spokane, and there's a young girl there. She was uh, 17, had graduated high school. Um, I was probably 25, 26, and uh, she's just sitting there looking out the window, and I'm awkwardly, broke my rule, was not sitting in an aisle, I hate the middle seat. 
So I'm in the middle seat, and then she's just like, starts crying. And I know I'm a chaplain, but all my students know I love you, but crying, I don't know what to do with. Especially, I love it. Kids will come into my office and they're like, Berg, I don't. I'm just going to sit here and cry. I'm like, okay, you do you. Just tell me what you need. But she starts crying, and I'm like, looking around like, and this is on one of those, it was like United or something, and I'm trapped. I can't move because I paid for the seat. So I'm trapped next to this young lady that's crying. Well, she looks over at me. I'm sorry. And I'm like, no problem. What's going on? And we started talking. She's dating a young man, and, and what's interesting to me is I thought, I even told God, I was like, God, this is, whew, this is out of my ballpark. This is a little uncomfortable. I feel like I'm, I'm too close to her age. But God tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, bud, I put you here for a reason. And so she's going into this whole sermon, I was like, wow, I feel like I, feel like I was the boyfriend in this because her boyfriend is not a believer, She's a devout believer, grew up uh, in a Christian church, grew up in a youth group. She was actually coming back from a mission trip, and this is why she's crying, because she knows God does not want her to date this young man. And I thought to myself, boy, I bet your parents are happy right now. But she's just describing, she goes, and this is what she said, I love him. I love him. And so I'm thinking, I don't know how to handle this. So I prayed. And you know what? I like to believe that I evangelized her because I told her, I said, you know what? You already have the answer that you shared with me. You were just fighting what you want with what God wants. And that's what fear is. Honestly, the most impactful situations on my spiritual walk have been a time when I have fear and I look at it and I say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. I know Abraham was afraid. I know he was because guess what? What if he was wrong? And he shows back up to Sarah, and he killed, murdered, shanked the only kid that she could have, and God didn't resurrect him. You know that went through his, but he said anyways, we're going to worship together and we'll be back. Because he took that fear, bottled it up, sucked it down. That's what you got to do. So evangelism is not ruled by fear. The last one is a theological dilemma. Oftentimes, man, this wire's killing me. Oftentimes, how many, I, I know I can do this sometimes, is especially growing up uh, at Seventh-day Adventist, sometimes we look at other denominations like, oh, I'm not going to go talk to them. They worship on Sunday. Oh, why would I go there? You know, as you get older, what's interesting to me, I uh, got to know a couple other pastors, church, and inside that good Adventist voice goes, they go to church on Sunday. Don't do it. But then God goes, you know what? You got the truth. You know it, but I love them and I love you. So I went, and I got to tell you, they, they looked at me later on, and they go, we didn't think, okay. And so there we started a dialogue, saying I have all the answers, I'm just sharing with you a, uh, once in a while. That's how you evangelize. I'm not saying I have all the answers, I'm just sharing with you a sermon that God shared with me and said, hey, I know we've struggled as a church with evangelism and worship, the you do it because when I'm evangelizing for Christ. I do. Oftentimes, especially, I'm going to get real honest. I dread the weekend. As a pastor, Sunday is a great day because I don't have to work. 
And it's funny, you'll get together. I have a blessing on Sabbath, but I always dread the weekend because I think I got vespers and what happens if my praise team or someone gets sick and then I, I got to end up singing and oftentimes it'll happen or then I got afterglow and then if I have a week of prayer that week, then I'm already burned out by the time I hit Wednesday, but then I still got for the weekend. Then sometimes it's even a, a power weekend, so I got to write a sermon. I got to do Sabbath school. I got to do church. Got to do an afternoon activity. Then I got Sabbath uh, vespers, and then guess what? I'm on duty Saturday night. But you know what? Every time, every time, and I, I feel bad for my wife because she has to listen to me moan, but every time after I push myself, oh man, when I'm there with the students or I'm there in a church and we are, we are a Friday night, doesn't matter what's happened, I feel, I feel renewed. When I have truly worshiped, and it has nothing to do with music, but when I am there worshiping with my students or other individuals, I am renewed. I walk away from the weekend thinking, this is awesome. And that's what you have to do. You have to stop the compartmentalizing. That's what we love to do. We, 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 we do this. You know what? I'm going to go to church, but then I'm going to go watch the football game. God is, is for a moment, and he's not for all moments. And what worship is, is worship literally comes from the old English term, worth-ip, which means the thing that is worth your time. So if you're only willing to give God 40 to an hour out of your day, and if you're really involved in the church, two or three hours out of your week, are you really worshiping God? Because one thing that broke my world is when my professor, my freshman year, said, you know what? You can pray wherever you're at. You can worship wherever you're at. When you're on your motorcycle, and I tell you what, when I got a motorcycle, I worshiped, man, feeling that wind in my hair there in Lincoln, Nebraska, and just Sabbath afternoons going with my buddy Brian. We were fried from uh, taking Greek class, and we would just go from rides. I can't tell you how many times we would stop on the side of the road, and we would just end up having deep theological discussions, or he'd look at me, and we'd just look at the sunset, and we'd worship. I can't tell you how many times that I've worshiped Truly worship when I've been there in my house and I could do a million other things, but I turn it off and I listen to a praise song. Or I just listen to the silence and I let I tell God, hey, come and come and spend some time with me. Because I know what God did for me, and I know that I need to give God a whole lot more time. You can worship while you're in the grocery store. You can worship wherever you're at. And guess what? You can also evangelize while you're worshiping. This is what I wish evangelists would do. Hey, man, I love Jesus, dude. I'm going to Elevate. You want to go? I just evangelized. Did I not? And I'm going to worship. You guys are doing that great here. Because I'll be honest, some of our churches, I don't want to go up to someone and be like, hey, do you want to? Because a lot of times, if you go to a mega church, guess what happened? You can get lost in the sauce. You can say, hey, do you want to go worship with me? And you won't worship. You'll be in. You'll get maybe a placard or a check-in ticket. You, you know, you might have a coat check-in. You might just go in. You're, you don't even see the actual pastor. You see a screen. You could check in and check out. How many of you guys go, and I love doing this with the kids. Hey, can I pray with you? What do, you got, what do you got to talk about? I love when kids come into my office because I worship then. Because they'll come in and tell me about their problems. And guess what? I try to evangelize to them, not by pulling out a pamphlet, not by doing anything, but by buying donuts and saying, hey, let's go get a donut. You want a donut? Donuts, I believe, are going to be in heaven. 
That is the best evangelism tool you could ever have. How many times does Jesus evangelize in the New Testament through food? All the time. He's either reclining at a table, he's just got back from a table, or he's feeding people out and there is no table. Am I right? And guess what? He literally does the last thing that he does spiritually, really, before the crucifixion, they're eating a meal. And they probably had donuts. But no, I, you, you look at it. If we overcomplicate uh, evangelism, it's because we are used to having someone else do it for us. And Jesus says here in Acts 1.8, I will give you the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses. You will go forward. So I want to challenge you today as we wrap up. Don't let the misconceptions of fear of someone else doing it, of theological doctrine, anything keep you from evangelizing and worshiping. Because the two go hand in hand. I really wish that I could do a whole, uh, whole uh, uh, series on this because I tell you what, once you crack that, that, that eggshell open of worship, it is a beautiful thing. And I want to encourage you guys. So this week, I'm going to challenge you, leave you with this challenge. Find someone that you don't know, that you are scared to death of, and evangelize to them. It can even be your own family member. Maybe you haven't talked to them in a while. Just call them up. And be like, hey, can I share some news with you? I got some good news. His name is Jesus, and he's from Galilee. I love telling people that because they always get caught off guard. I, wanna, I love telling people a couple times, I'll be like, hey, I want to tell you about a dude I'm madly in love with. And he's from Galilee. And then, you know what's funny is non-Christians still know two things. They know if you start reciting Isaiah 54 by his stripes, that is one of the most well-known outside of the Christian church scriptures. Also, if you mention anything Galilee, guess what they know? Jesus. But I want to share with you this. If you haven't accepted Christ into your heart, it's never too late. I just got back from Costa Rica, and let me tell you what, I didn't get to spend as much time as I would, but with Christ, I spent uh, time in my surfboard, uh, just in the ocean, thinking about God and his mighty ways. I want to be honest, take every opportunity you can to worship and share that with others father in heaven thank you for your love and mercy thank you for each one that's here lord as we go forward this week help us to remember the challenge to uh, evangelize for you help us not to overcomplicate it but remember that you are with us always help us to find someone and actually i want to pray this that you put someone into each and every one of